We are continuing on in our Connecting to Church series. We're in part 12, but we're going to take a little week break of our Ephesians passage. I'll be next week right back into Ephesians with you. But I entitled today's message, which is more topical, I, I called it A Life of Action. And I have to be honest with you, this is going to be coming with a lot of exhortation and challenge. And if you're a note taker, this is time to pull out that pen and paper or maybe a laptop or something that you can just kind of type onto so you might not miss any of this. I think God has something special for us today. So let me begin by drawing your attention to the fill in the blank that is going to be either on your app or maybe you just have to write it down yourself with just a couple thoughts here. This season of COVID-19 has made it going to church super hard. As a matter of fact, doing church, as being part of the leadership of a church, I can tell you it has been rather difficult. See, first we had this this mandate come down that it wouldn't be healthy for us to meet together. And so our corporate gathering at first was shut down and we went online. That made it very difficult and disrupted our patterns. And then we had a, a kind of an, a decree issued down to say, whoa, 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 don't spend any time with people that are not your immediate family. And that really impacted small groups and meeting in homes. Well, then we had the worship band that came down that said, all right, no singing in church. And we know we don't really just sing in church. We, we praise and worship. And so it made church very difficult. I understand that we as people are the church, but it made going to church, doing church, running the local church very, very difficult. But here is the unfortunate reality. As difficult as those restrictions were, many of us weren't doing those things in the first place. Many of us were still not attending our local churches. Many of us were not involved in a small group or a missional community. Many of us were not singing even when we were here. And if you are watching this program outside of a general area and you're not part of Bridgeway, it may apply to you too. You see, we were very upset about having restricted from us, but many of us were not doing it anyway. Hmm, I think God is teaching us a few things in this season, yeah? Yeah, I think so. You see, Christianity is a lifestyle, not merely a philosophy. Let me say it a different way, and it's the fill in the blank on that app. Christianity is more than right thoughts. It is also right actions. Let me say that again. Christianity is more than right thoughts. It is also right actions. You see, we are Christians. And what that means is that we're little versions of Jesus Christ. We are duplicates. We are mimics. We are copies. And Jesus said when he was here, he told his followers, he said, follow me. That is an action term. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So I would love to have you read along with me in Scripture. Turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Matthew 4, verse 18. We're going to be going through verse 25 together. And while you're turning there, just listen to my voice. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, what did he mean? You see, it is an apprentice 
concept. And an apprentice concept means a duplicate of lifestyle. It is not merely a philosopher teaching a philosophy student. When you say, follow me, and you're a rabbi, it means I want you to follow me literally and begin to duplicate and learn my habit of living. Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Jesus challenged his followers. 1 John 2, 5 through 6 sums it up. By this we may know that we are in Christ. Whoever says that he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It doesn't say merely think the same things that Jesus thought. It means do the things that Jesus did. If I sent a brand new Christian to shadow you, an apprentice with you, coming up this next week, what would they see? Would they see maybe a couple times you close your eyes and maybe you're praying internally? Would they be able to see that you were, what, thinking about something godly? What would they see? Is there any activity, is there any lifestyle that comes around your Christianity? Would they see you operate differently in the grocery store? Would they see you reaching out to those that are in need? What would they see? Would they see you hit your knees and intercede out loud for someone else? Would they see you singing the praise of God? What would they see? You see, when Jesus asked his disciples to follow him, he meant something very specifically. Would you look with me in the passage that I had you turn to, Matthew 4, 18 through 25. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, notice the action, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat, they left their father, and they followed him. That's an action. And he, what, did they, what did they sign up for? Look at this, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. That was their introduction to Christianity. Welcome to the team. Jesus said, follow me and I'm going to show you how we are going to live and minister and went out and did all of that. Daunting? Well, they weren't on their own. Jesus was going to teach them, and the Holy Spirit was going to empower them. You see, we need to live a Christianity that can be witnessed, not just a Christianity of thoughts. Jesus said that we would be the light of the world, but a light needs to be seen to be appreciated. 
and to be valuable. Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, but you have to storm the gates for them to be taken over. Jesus came preaching, Jesus came casting demons, and Jesus came healing people. As a matter of fact, he used his outward works as proof he was who he said he was. Take a listen to this, Matthew eleven two through 5. Now when John heard in prison, that's John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, notice the actions, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you see and what you hear. What was the proof? What they could see and what they could hear, not the internal workings. He said, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And you say, there's no way that we could do that. I mean, you're setting this, that was just the Messiah. That's just what Jesus did. Incorrect. The apostles did it too. And even those that weren't even designated apostles. Peter, James, and John, and people like Philip and Barnabas, and just think about it this way. Paul the apostle taught his apprentice Timothy how to go on missions, plant new churches, confront lies, debate in public circles, heal, cast demons, preach, and how to endure prison and hardships. Now that's an apprentice. That's an apprenticeship. But what Christianity has become today the world can take or leave us because we are not having the same impact as Jesus Christ. Today, many of us as Christians are up in our heads and we're viewed as just another ideology. Our outward lives look identical to our neighbors, but yet we say we are saved. Christians, we don't unite against the injustice in our society, nor do we help the oppressed. Christians aren't seeking God to develop the ability to pray, to heal, to minister, so that when people are hurting, they don't go to Christians first, they go to the medical community first. Church today is a lot about reading a book and talking about feelings. Is it no wonder that in general men wrestle to attend church? I want to talk about that for a moment. I've written articles about this in the past, but I want to address something because I want to talk about Christian men for a moment. Now, ladies, this is not your time to elbow your guy and say, see, I've been telling you. Hold on, hold on. Let me just talk to the men for a moment. Many men struggle with talking. Communication is not their strong suit. Many men struggle with sharing feelings and even understanding their own emotions. Many men only feel alive when they're doing something with their hands. As a matter of fact, men bond over shared activities, not conversations. And most men lean into where they can use their abilities, their gifts, and make a tangible difference. Do you see why church is such a struggle for so many men? As a matter of fact, let me take it one step further. Do you know why? Jesus selected out 12 men to start out everything. Why were the apostles 12 men? 
Why not have any women on the team? You know, it's interesting because uh, I'm going to be very clear right now that as a matter of fact, I believe women are equally important in the family of God, and I take a stand to empower women to minister in all ways in the church. However, for our purposes, I want to talk specifically why Jesus picked men for that first iteration. I believe that there is a deeper reason, and that is about the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, that they were the new covenant version, and those men, those sons of Jacob, those sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, those were all guys. So once again, it was transferred over. But I think that there's some practical reasons why Jesus did it. I'm going to give you two of them. One is because the culture would have resisted the gospel simply because it came out of the mouth of a woman. Why? Because in that day, women weren't even allowed to be witnesses in court. Their word was not considered trustworthy. Now, of course, that's messed up, but Jesus is working with what he has, and he needed the, the gospel to go out unhindered. It would have been shut down immediately, not due to content, but by the deliverer. And I think Jesus had a long way to go to lay the foundation for women to be respected and minister appropriately. But I think there's another practical reason. Quite frankly, it's that Jesus, in my opinion, needed to do some guy things. Now, I know this sounds ridiculous and a little bit bizarre, but think about this. When we focus in our Bible study and we study books like the Acts of the Apostles, we always tend to talk about the parts of the apostles' lives that are very inclusive, where women can relate just as much as men. So we talk about how they preached, and women can teach just as well. We talk about their amazing miracles, and women can do miracles the same way. We talk about the inner workings and the dynamics of the group, and women have the same things. But what we forget is the physical pieces that the apostles did and how all of them but one was brutally tortured and murdered and all of them saw imprisonment and pain. Now, can women suffer, be martyred, and murdered? Absolutely. But it was a time in history for men to stand up to men face to face in a male-dominated society and proclaim Jesus with strength while they were tortured and killed. It was a time to do stuff. And men are good at doing stuff, especially dangerous stuff. One of the problems of modern-day Christianity for a lot of men is there's nothing dangerous they're told to do. Hmm. But maybe there is. All right, let's talk with everyone once again. I want to talk about the 10 practices of a Christian life. I want to talk about things that Christians do. I'm going to suggest to you that all 10 of these, all Christians do. And I'm going to start with that which is probably familiar to you. And I'm going to go to the unfamiliar. And we'll go through them really fast. So you may want to take notes and jot this down. Number one, pray. Number one, pray. Real Christians pray. It is our lifeline to God. It is our primary relationship builder. We must stop saying we need to pray more and just pray more. 
It's how we get kingdom stuff done. There's a ton not getting done in the world around us. Things are still going on that God doesn't like because his children are not praying. You've heard about the concept of fasting and putting fasting together with prayer. That is part of an aggressive plan of praying for breakthrough by increasing our alignment with God, dying to self, letting him flow more so there is more power to break through the areas of resistance. It's about spiritual warfare. It's about intercession because Christians fight on their knees primarily. If you do, if you will pray, your faith will become powerful again. Number two, worship and praise. Worship and praise. Real Christians sing. Real Christians act like God is present and that he matters. It is not a personal thing. When we come together so many times, we try to block everyone else out. And I need you to know that's not what it's for. You do that at home. But when we are together collectively, when we are all sharing online at the same time, it's not a personal thing. It's a communal thing. It's a group thing. And we are proclaiming out loud to the natural and supernatural world that Jesus Christ is king. Praise is singing and talking out loud that God is awesome, so we need to be verbal. Worship is thinking and living like God matters and adjusting to the king's priorities, so we must adjust. I tell you, if you will worship and praise, you will walk out of church time knowing that you have lifted up the king's name and he is pleased. Number three, fellowship and gathering. Real Christians are committed to a local church. Now once again, not everyone engaging in this message right now is from Bridgeway, so I wanna just talk about whatever local church is for you. But real Christians are committed. They are loyal to a local church. Because going into a church is not simply what we get out of it. As a matter of fact, it is even more what we bring to the table. You have gifts, you have talents, you have abilities. We need to use them in our local church context. The whole statistics in our nation of attending church once a month isn't going to cut it. Because we are first and foremost Christians. Before we're soccer moms, before we're workout guy. Before we're sports fan, we are Christians, and that means it requires commitment to be engaging with God's word and engaging with God's people. With the size of the church like Bridgeway, our number one problem should not be recruiting volunteers, it should be having to implement the mass of everyone using their gifts and getting involved. Last year, uh, excuse me, two years ago when we had Banning preaching, he said, to not get involved in church is like going to Thanksgiving meal every year with family and never lifting a hand. Just allowing it to be fed to you and then all we do is give a thanks and we move on. That's just not how it works. If you will fellowship, if you will commit to being part of a local body, I tell you, you will watch that church build in strength and you will know that you are part of something so much bigger. Number four, help the needy. Real Christians care about hurting people. 
Jesus did a bunch of miracles simply out of compassion. You might want to write this line down. A hard heart does not belong in the chest of a Christian. A hard heart does not belong in the chest of a Christian. And we got to get over our excuses on why we don't help the needy more. You may say, well, there's that one guy, I know he's bogus, he's always by the stop sign by my house, and he's just using it for bad stuff and taking advantage of the system. All right, let's say for argument you're correct. Then you got to do your homework and find out where the real needy are. Are you telling me that there's not real needy? That excuse is never going to fly. There are real needy And it is the Christian's job to bless society where they are hurting. It's going to impede on you to do so, and it should. But if you do, if you do help the hurting, then you'll read passages like Matthew 25, 33 through 46 with peace. What does that passage say? And Jesus will sit on his throne in the end of times and separate out people, those that get to go with him and those that are forbidden from his presence. And he will say, come to his children, come and inherit the kingdom with me. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you brought me in. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you took care of my needs. I was in prison and you visited me. And they said, Lord, when did we ever see those things? He said, as you did to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Every single one of those are actions, lifestyle, because the lifestyle reflects the heart. Number five, love actively. Real Christians are known by their love. John 13, 35. If you are a crusty, hard-hearted complainer, you may be saved, but I'm going to have a really hard time saying that you are a Christian. You see, love does stuff. Love isn't simply a feeling. Yes, of course, it is that, but it is a motivation to act. Love forgives And I know we don't want to say that. I know we don't want to do that. I know they don't deserve that. But the love of our Lord and the love of our enemies compels us to. Love always looks for a way to bless other people. And if we will, if we will love actively, the world will know that you are one of his and he will long to be near you. So many of us are not attractive in this world because we're known for what we're against not for what we're for, not for who we love. And we're supposed to be known by our love primarily. Let's go to number six. Proclaim revolutionary truth. Proclaim revolutionary truth. Real Christians advance truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But the truth is not just harsh facts. The truth is about God's grace as well. We talk about what is right. We talk about what is wisdom. We talk about what is godly. And we're never going to be able to do that until we know God's word. Therefore, Christians read their Bibles, right? Because we're looking in it. That which comes out of your mouth ought to be that which came out of God's heart first. Secret Christianity is not really a thing. 
This whole idea of I keep my faith to myself and it's kind of a private matter. No, it's not. You're in the wrong faith. I understand if you're shy, this is super hard for you. But Christianity was given to be spread and you can't spread it if it's silent. If we will tell people of God's love, if we will tell them about the gospel, our society will once again know right from wrong and they will know a God who is loving and kind. Number seven, invest our resources. Hear me on this. Real Christians give financially both to their local church and to needs and opportunities around them. They budget for it, they plan for it, and they react to it whenever possible. The question is never, how much should I give to the Lord? The question is, how comfortable am I keeping what I keep? If God gave me resources to distribute throughout the world and meet other people's needs, how comfortable are we keeping the majority for ourselves? I can tell you that if we give rightly before the Lord, then all of our future purchases, even on things for ourselves, are done with a pure heart and they're done joyfully with no weight or guilt upon it because we are balancing out God giving us gifts to us personally as well as advancing the kingdom. Number eight, live counterculture. Live counterculture. Real Christian lifestyles look different from non-Christians. We are about different things. We're about different priorities. We're about different patterns of living. We're about different motivation. We're about different purpose. As a matter of fact, the very core foundation of who we are is different. Our lifestyles should look different. I'm talking about in our personal and private lives, meaning that internally we're resisting materialism and selfishness so that when people look at our spending, they don't just see a selfish life. They see a giving life. They see a vibrant life, an abundant life. I'm talking about in our homes. It should not be that there is the same statistics in Christian households for divorce than non-Christian households. Has God not taught us how to repair, how to forgive, how to understand, how to grow together, how to understand what it is to be human? Should we not in our marriages have marriages that are an example to the world? Should not we raise our children to have purpose and not merely to figure out how much they can get out of the world in their life? When I talk about different lifestyles, I'm talking about in our workplaces. All Christians should have a great work ethic, that we are never lazy, that we're men and women of integrity, that we are fair, that we are honest. No one should have to look at our jobs and wonder if we're saved. I'm talking about in our schools, those of you that are students, at some point if you're a Christian, you have to figure out how not to buy into the system where what? We harm other people to get ahead. We share secrets about other people. We gossip about other people. At some point, we have to realize we have to be kind to all the kids around us. That we have to determine that we refuse to cheat or take the short road. That we wouldn't disengage, but we would be involved. I'm talking about different lifestyles in relationships and in friendships where we refuse to manipulate other people in our lives. Where we are loving, where we are grace-filled, where we have healthy boundaries. Because if we do, if we live counterculture, then we will become the salt and light that Jesus designed and built us to be. 
I tell you, if we do that, more people will be led to the Lord by our example than any church service. Number nine, advance the kingdom of God. Real Christians operate with the power of God. We are not merely human. When Jesus Christ became our Lord and Savior, it says that we are born again. And when we are born again, it says not just of flesh, but of spirit. That means the Holy Spirit lit us alive, came down and dwelt in us. That means he wants to change the world through us. That means that we operate in the supernatural, fighting the enemy, healing God's people, changing situations miraculously through prayer. It means that we are using our spiritual gifts that we were built supernaturally to contribute to the advancement of the kingdom uniquely, and you can't sit it out. It's part of your design and purpose. I'm talking about doing spiritual warfare. The enemy should have a hard time operating in Christian territory. Amen? Then why is he walking all over us? If we do this, if we advance the kingdom of God, then he won't be able to walk wherever he wants to walk but the enemy will have to bow to the King Jesus, amen? Number 10, pursue justice for the oppressed. Do you realize in the Old Testament, over and over when Israel got in trouble, one of the number one reasons was there was injustice happening in their land and they weren't taking care of it. What do you think's gonna happen to us? What do you think's gonna happen in America with the injustice that we have in our society that we're not addressing. Real Christians make other people's problems their own. Let me say that again. Real Christians make other people's problems their own. It is never okay to say that someone who is oppressed, that it's not your problem, because injustice to anyone is injustice to everyone. Now, I'll tell you that some things in our society are called injustice that are not injustice. But there is real injustice happening in our society, and the Christian church should mobilize and solve it. There's a bunch of stuff happening that should never happen on our watch. Paul the apostle helped a runaway slave get his freedom. He could have said it wasn't his problem, but he made it his problem. David was just delivering supplies to the army when a giant Philistine came out, and David took care of it. It wasn't his problem, but he made it his problem. Boaz took Ruth and Naomi in when it wasn't his problem, but he made it his problem. The good Samaritan stopped for an enemy who wouldn't even appreciate it because it wasn't his problem, but he made it his problem. And Jesus stood up for the lowly, the outcast, the oppressed, the religiously abused, the harassed, and the poor. Because if we do this, if we stand up for the oppressed, then the world will take notice that the church is a force to be reckoned with and millions will be set free. It is our job to continue what our Jesus started. Amen? Yeah, I get it. There's lots of internal stuff, right? 75% of our lives are going to be internal, dealing with issues of faith, dealing with issues of integrity, dealing with doubt and fears and anxieties and depressions and all that. I get that. But what about the 25% that is outward? Are we doing that? Are we carrying out the actions of Jesus Christ? Write this down. Live like you are being watched. Live like you are being watched. They can't see the intentions of their heart. They can only see the actions of your life. Oh, they're watching, but what are they seeing? 
Jesus finished out in Matthew 28 with the great commission to his people. And every single one of them were action issues. He said, I want you to go into all the world. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them everything I have commanded you. I want you to make disciples of all nations. Those are actions, actions, actions. So what have we let it become? Christianity is not merely right thoughts. It's right actions. Maybe this is the beautiful season. We start being the church and not just attending church. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is a strong challenge to us that, Lord, it means a reworking for many of us in our schedules, in our checkbooks. It means a reworking of how we spend our time and how we have the friendships that we have. It means a reworking of what is important to us in our priority list. And so I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would give us an inner fire, an inner compulsion to do that which you call us to do, that we would live lives of obedience, that when you say go, we go. When you say talk, we talk. When you say praise, we praise. But Lord, that we would be known. You said to do our works out loud so people might glorify our Father in heaven. Lord Jesus, would you use us outwardly to bring about transformation in our society? May we be just like you. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.